So in this episode of the podcast, I'm going to talk about how President Zelensky unified the free world. Now, this episode is not for the faint of heart. Um, I'm going to be covering a lot of ground. So if you're uh, more interested in cat videos or um, makeup tutorials, this is not for you. I'm going to go over about 25 nations, the speeches that he gave to 25 nations, including another uh, half dozen or so from the EU, NATO, uh, UN, Euro European Union, those kind of things. Okay, so that's what's coming up in this episode. Buckle up. In a world of incompetent bosses, micromanagers, and petty tyrants. One management professor claims that he can help you become the kind of leader that you would want to follow. You are listening to The Leadersmith. Now, here is your host, Darren Gertis. Okay, so as I said, I'm going to go over what Zelensky did exactly in order to unify the world. Now, this is covering about 300 some odd pages worth of his speeches. And I've read all of his speeches that he posted on the presidential website of the president of Ukraine's website. Um, and I, I've been faithfully reading them week by week. Now, I'm, I've cherry picked the very best of what he said to different nations to show you what his process has been and how he has gone about unifying the nation. So let's start here. He's a great leader in many regards. And I wrote a book about the guy. I think the world of him, he's, he's been a, a fascinating figure, a great wartime leader. When he said on the second day, Yatut, that means I am here in Ukrainian, Yatut, I, he said, I, I did not leave. I am not traitor. Um, and the, I'm read, I'm explaining that the way that it's on the website or the way it's translated when I'm, when I'm reading these. Um, I'm not a traitor. Uh, my family is still here. We are in Kiev. Now, the trick here is that the Russians thought that they were going to roll right over Kiev and take over the government, establish a puppet government, and in a matter of a couple of days. But because he stayed put, he sent a signal to everybody there on the ground what to do, stay and fight. Now, he also had to do something else very important in order to amass the arms and the support from the rest of the world. He had to speak to all these different nations. And so now it caught my attention when he first said the reports of um, the U.S. You know, saying, "Would you want out?" And he's, "I need ammunition. I don't need a ride." And I was like, "Whoa, who is this guy?" And I started really, really uh, trying to understand him. So, but beyond that, he did such a masterful job talking to all the different nations. So from March eighth to mid-April or so, he talked to twenty-five. I think it was twenty-seven different parliaments around the world to explain what was what what was going on, what he needed from them. And now he had a certain formula. He generally would do this. He would thank them for what they did so far, and then he would say something that would show how they're they have commonality how they're on the same page how they're the same people and then he would show how what's going on in ukraine is very it's only the uh the epicenter of what will go on in the rest of either europe or the rest of the free world if we don't do something about it and then he would ask them for more <laughs> a greater give a greater ask uh i need more weapons i need more sanctions i need more such and such okay so that was his his policy and his strategy as he was talking to all these different nations now i'm going to walk you through them one by one starting with great britain on march 8th he said this uh 
and I'm going to be quoting a lot here, to Great Britain, they said, Ukraine did not strive for that. It did not seek greatness, but it became great during these days of the war. Ukraine that saves people despite the terrors of invaders, defends freedom despite the blows of one of the world's largest armies, defends despite the open sky, still open to Russian missiles, aircraft, helicopters. To be or not to be, you know the Shakespearean question well. 13 days ago, this question could still be raised about Ukraine, but not now. Obviously to be, obviously to be free. And if not here, where should I remind you of the words of that Great Britain has already heard? and which are relevant again. Now, at this point, he's already quoted Shakespeare and he's talking to the parliament of Great Britain. And then he says this, we shall not give up and we shall not lose. We shall go the whole way. We shall fight in the seas. We shall fight in the air. We shall defend our land, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight in the woods, on the fields, on the beaches, in the cities, in the villages, in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. Now, he was quoting Churchill. Everyone in that audience knew that he was quoting Winston Churchill, who was saying that in the darkest days of World War II. But then he added this, and I want to add, we shall fight on the spoil tips, on the banks of the Calamis, and on the Dnieper, and we shall not surrender. Now, please forgive me, I'm not Ukrainian. If I slaughtered the Ukrainian names, and that goes for everything here. If I slaughter the names of places, please forgive me, okay? Um, but what he did was he took... Uh, Winston Churchill's speech, and then he added his own lines about a mountain range and a river in Ukraine, saying that we're going to fight. It was inspiring. Uh, he got a standing ovation from the parliament in Great Britain. Okay, then a few days later, March 11th, he's talking to Poland, the, the Polish um, parliament. And now Poland and Ukraine have had kind of a checkered history. For hundreds of years, they were kind of at each other. Um, World War II put them on the same page of being both victims of, of Nazi aggression and then both victims of Russian aggression or Soviet aggression after World War II. Now, so he's talking to them as neighbors and they, they share a common border. He says this, when there's someone who beats like a savage, it's important to have someone who will lend a hand. And when the foot of the enemy enters your house, he will lend you a helping hand. On the morning of February 24th, I had no doubt who it would be. Who will say to me, brother, your people will not be left alone with an enemy. And so it happened. And I'm so grateful for that. Polish brothers and sisters are with us. And this is natural. Just in one day, on the first day of the war, it became clear to me and to all Ukrainians and I'm sure to all Poles that there are no more borders between us, between our nations, no physical ones, no historical ones, no personal ones. And today, he goes on, and today we are fighting for such a bad time for Poland and the Baltic states never to come. We fight together. We have strength. Remember, there are 90 million of us together. We can do everything together. And this is the historical mission, the historical mission of Poland, the historical mission of Ukraine to be leaders who together will pull Europe out of this abyss to save it from threat, stop the transformation of Europe into a victim. Although we did not ask for it and you did not ask anything for it, it's just the way it is between relatives. That was masterful. Now, it's masterful on a number of levels. Do you see how he united and, and put them together? Poland and Lithuania and Estonia and Latvia, that's the Baltic states, 
and Ukraine. We, if we could be united, we're stronger than any threat that comes to us. And they all were victims of Russian aggression once upon a time. So he does this so well. And I'm going to go on to the next one. Now, the first time that he spoke to Italy, this is 12 March. The first time that he spoke to Italy, he didn't really unite things like in, in his second speech, he talked about, you know, Rome and Kiev as these eternal cities, like these very historical places, but this one he didn't. So the idea here is what's most personal is universal. If you, if you ever strike up a conversation and you have nothing in common with somebody else, but they have children, you could talk about your children like your old friends, right? That's kind of what he's doing here. Now, he, he quotes, now, or I'm quoting him. Now, when the war is going on and thousands of people have died in it, and 79 children have died in it, 79 children. I'm sure each of you has photos of your loved ones at home or just on the phone so that you can watch when your heart asks for that. Photos of children, photos of parents, photos of your loved ones. As for 79 Ukrainian children, 79 Ukrainian families destroyed by the shameful war, the invasion of Russia, 79 families who have lost the most valuable, but who are still forced to fight. They are forced to pull themselves up and survive and to fight, fight for a future that is over for them. And the photos of these 79 children killed in the war. And what should we do? All of us, Ukrainian people, Europeans. So that number 79 does not change, does not grow. And so that Europe does not forget Ukraine, 79. Now, look, I don't care who you are. You recognize that children being killed unnecessarily is tragedy. Absolutely. Even if it's uh, like there, everybody understands that. It doesn't matter what it, this, this crosses geographical borders. And he did this very well. So that was his first speech to Italy. Later on, he's going to make some greater commonalities. Okay. Um, March 15th, he talks to Canada, to the parliament in Canada, and he speaks to Justin Trudeau and the parliamentarians there. And he says this, Justin, imagine that you hear it and your children hear it. Hear missile strikes at Ottawa airport, at dozens of other places throughout your beautiful country, Canada. Cruise missiles, even before dawn, and your children hug you and ask, what happened, dad? And a little bit further, he goes on, they approach Edmonton, imagine and fire artillery, and they blockade Vancouver, and besiege hundreds of thousands of people who remain in that city. The famous CN Tower in Toronto, how many Russian missiles will be enough to destroy it? Believe me, I do not wish this to all of you. Now, again, he's essentially articulating What's happening in Ukraine, in Mariupol, which is besieged and blockaded, and, and what's going on with the CN Tower, like that analog is to their tower in one of their major cities that had been hit by a Russian airstrike. Like he, he's masterfully helping them put themselves in Ukrainian shoes, and that's what's causing the world to unite around him. Okay, March 16th. Now, he talks to the U.S. Congress on March 16th. He says this, now the fate of our state is being decided, the fate of our people. It is being decided whether Ukrainians will be free, whether they will preserve their democracy. Russia has attacked more than just our land and our cities. It went on a brutal offensive against our values, basic human values. It threw tanks and planes against our freedom, against our right to live freely in our country, choosing our own future, against our desire for happiness. Now look, 
as an American, I, I mean, I'm getting goosebumps just reading this, right? I, I'm thinking like, yeah, that's wrong. I mean, you should have the right to be free and to, to determine what you're going to do yourself. And he's speaking to American values without even like he wasn't being overt here. Now he gets a little bit more overt. He says, understand us now when it's needed most. Remember Pearl Harbor, the terrible morning of December 7th, 1941, when your sky was black from the planes attacking you? Just remember that. Remember September 11th, a terrible day in 2001, when evil tried to turn your cities into a battlefield, when innocent people were attacked, attacked from the air, in a way no one expected, in a way no one could stop it. Our state experiences this every day. I just, wow, that hit me like a ton of bricks when I watched that. And I watched it the day that he gave that, that address. And then I showed the, the video in class, in my power and influence class at, at Charleston Southern. I, I was showing them that as an example, a displacing what I had used in previous semesters as an example of a powerful speech, because it, it becomes more even more powerful. He goes on, I have a dream. These words are known to each of you. Today, I can say I have a necessity, the necessity to protect our sky, the necessity for your decision, your help. And it will mean exactly the same thing, the same thing that you feel when you hear, I have a dream. Okay, so he's linking us to Pearl Harbor, to Dr. King's I have a dream, to 9-11. So then he shows this really heart-wrenching video it was it's these these beautiful scenes of ukraine and and it's calm and peaceful and then it shows these war images of things being uh bombed and uh dead bodies lying a, a parent weeping over their child and i mean it's just it was touching and then he, after that the video ends now he's been being translated into English, um, you know, some translator has, has been translating his words, and then he starts speaking in English, and he says, and to sum it up, and, and again, in English, he says, to sum it up, today it is not enough to be the leader of the nation. Today, it takes to be the leader of the world. Being the leader of the world means being the leader of peace. Peace in your country does not depend anymore only on you and your people. It depends on those next to you, on those who are strong. Strong does not mean big. Strong is brave and ready to fight for the life of the citizens and the citizens of the world, for human rights, for freedom, for the right to live decently and to die when your time comes, not when it is wanted by someone else, by your own neighbor. Today, the Ukrainian people are defending not only Ukraine, we are fighting for the values of Europe and the world, sacrificing our lives in the name of the future. That is why today the American people are helping not just Ukraine, but Europe and the world to keep the planet alive, to keep justice in history. Now, I'm almost 45 years old. Today, my age stopped when the hearts of more than 100 children stopped beating. I see no sense in life if it cannot stop death. And this is my main mission as a leader of my people, great Ukrainians. And as a leader of my nation, I'm addressing President Biden. You are the leader of the nation, of your great nation. I wish you to be the leader of the world. Being the leader of the world means being the leader of peace. Thank you and glory to Ukraine. Now, did you, did you feel that? Like if you're if you're listening to that and you feel that that's what he's going for. He's not trying to create an intellectual argument. He's trying to get you to 
feel what he feels. And he's trying to link what's going on in Ukraine is just the beachhead of what's going to happen in Europe and undermine all of democracy if Russia is allowed to do this. I need you, President Biden, you're the leader of the free world. I need you to be the leader of peace, of helping us to defend peace, defend freedom. And again, that was masterful. I mean, he did just a great job. On March 17th, he talks to the German Bundestag. Okay, that's their the German's parliament, uh, Germany's parliament. During the three weeks of war for our lives, for our freedom, we became convinced of what we had felt before and what you probably do not all notice yet. You are like behind a wall again, not the Berlin Wall, but in the middle of Europe between freedom and slavery. And this wall grows stronger with each bomb that falls on our land, on Ukraine, with every decision that is not made for the sake of peace. Now, that Berlin Wall metaphor is going to be very powerful in Germany. Remember, the Berlin Wall is within living memory. It only went down in about 1990, I think 89, 90, something like that. And so people remember what that was. And so it's very vivid. Now, what's also in memory is what he's going to talk about next. If you remember what the Berlin airlift meant to you, which could be realized because the sky was safe, you were not killed from the sky as now in our country when we cannot even make an airlift, when the sky gives only Russian missiles and air bombs. I'm addressing you on behalf of older Ukrainians, many, many survivors of World War II, those who escaped during the occupation 80 years ago, those who survived Babinyar. Babinyar that President Steinmeier visited last year on the 80th anniversary of the tragedy. And it was hit by Russian missiles now. It was exactly this place that was hit. And the missile strike that killed the family that went to Babinyar to the monument killed again 80 years after. I appeal to you on behalf of everyone who has heard politicians say never again and who saw that these words are worthless because again in Europe, they are trying to destroy the whole nation, destroy everything we live by and live for. Now that was powerful and here's why. Babin Yar was the site of the largest um, <laughs> atrocity in all of uh, the Holocaust. Not, not, not the concentration camps, but just mowing down um, tens of thousands of Jews. Uh, at Babinyar, and there's a Holocaust memorial there. Like when I say mowing down, I mean like machine gunning them, like bringing them out to that place and just just mowing them down. Um, and so that's what he's referring to. And this, what happened just before this speech was that he's tying the current event of before this speech to that place because Babinyar was hit with a missile strike by the Russians. Like I don't understand why that particular place, it doesn't make any sense, but that's what he's tying it to. Now, he also talked about when you hear politicians say never again, this is a common refrain after what happened with the Nazis, right? Never again. We're not going to let that happen. That's why the UN formed. And so you've heard that, but is it just a, a paper promise or is this real? Now he's talking to Germany and Germany still has quite a bit of war guilt. And they, I mean, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, it's actually a crime to deny the Holocaust in Germany. Now I'm a free speecher, but for Germany to make that law, I'm fine with that. Okay. <laughs> it's a crime for them to deny what the Nazis did in World War II. And so uh, he knows what he's doing and he's, it was masterfully linking things. Okay. Switzerland, 19 March, 
He says this, I have often been to your country and I know very well how you live. And one day standing near Chilean castle, I asked my friends, we were the, uh, we were one company. Why can't we live like this to have such a standard of living a high level and with the same uh, freedom in such a friendly community and with such confidence in our own strength. And I sincerely wanted the Ukrainians to live like the Swiss. Now he's connecting to Chichilian castle. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but he's connecting it to something that I'm pretty sure that they're aware of. And he's admired. And so, and he does this with each speech. He connects to something, whether it is Churchill or 9 11 or uh, the Berlin airlift and Berlin Wall. He's doing this masterfully. This is bringing people together. His speeches are the opposite of what. Um, rhetoric in the United States has been for the last couple of years where we've just been tearing at each other. Everything he's doing is not calculated to say you're the other, you're woke or you're not woke, or you're this or that or the right. That's what we've been doing in the US tearing each other apart. What he's doing is actually bringing commonality and bringing us together. Okay, the next one, 20 March, the Israeli Knesset, the Knesset is their parliament. He says this, the Ukrainian and Jewish communities have always been, and I am sure will be very intertwined, very close. That is why I want to remind you of the words of a great woman from Kiev, whom you know very well, the words of Golda Meir. They are very famous. Everyone has heard them, apparently every Jew, many, many Ukrainians as well, and certainly no less Russians. We intend to remain alive. Our neighbors want to see us dead. This is not a question that leaves much room for compromise. And that's a great quote, because the Israelis understand what it's like to be under constant threat from their neighbors. And so he's trying to link that to the threat of Russia on Ukraine's border. OK, or within Ukraine's border. Now, he goes on. On February 24th, 1920, the National Socialist Workers Party of, the, of Germany, NSDAP, which we use it, we pronounce that as Nazi party, was founded, a party that took the lives of millions, destroyed entire countries, tried to kill nations. 102 years later, on February 24th, a criminal order was issued to launch a full-scale Russian invasion of Ukraine. The invasion, which has claimed thousands of lives, has left millions homeless, made them exiles. Now, that's fascinating. See how he, what he did with the dates? He's connecting the dates, just like he's going to. So Nazis and Russians are doing essentially the same thing. And see, it happened on this date. He goes on a little bit further. They called it the final solution to the Jewish issue. You will remember that, and I'm sure you'll never forget it. But listen to what is sounding now in Moscow. Hear how these words are said again. Final solution but already in relation, so to speak, to us, to the Ukrainian issue. It sounded openly. This is a tragedy. Once again, it was said at a meeting in Moscow. So he's connecting final solution to what's going on with Nazis to what's going on with the Russians. Continuing, Ukrainians have made their choice. 80 years ago, they rescued Jews. That's why the righteous among the nations are among us, the people of Israel. Now you have such a choice. Now. The righteous among the nations are, are what Israel calls people who have helped Jews escape from the Nazis. And he's saying, hey, look, there are Ukrainians that are, are counted among these people who have helped Jews escape from the Nazis. And so he's linking and linking and linking. With every speech, he does this. 
Okay, so I have to stop here. This is the end of part one. We'll go on to part two in the next episode. Thank you for your time. I try to keep these to about 30 minutes, not more than, and that's why I have to pause about here. But come on back for part two, and we'll continue to go through this list.